as we settle in, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to James chapter 1. Today, uh, we are going to finish our time in the first chapter of James. Uh, we have a couple of more weeks in uh, this book, and then we will uh, break uh, for the month of September to look at our value series. Man, I am uh, really excited about our value series this year, uh, where we are going to look at, man, as a church... Uh, as a church that uh, seeks to be good neighbors to Brenham by joyfully displaying the good news of Jesus in every part of our lives. And what we want to do is say, what does that look like? How does that flesh out? And really, uh, we're just going to point to four main things that we really want to be about. Uh, but as we uh, finish out this chapter, again, I want to quickly uh, catch everyone up in terms of the series uh, something I've said from week one is while James is a letter of uh, of wisdom literature, there's a ton uh, of wisdom, just all these points that we could really pull and say, man, that's really good. Uh, his intent in writing this letter wasn't just to write a bunch of tidbits to say, oh, yeah, I hope they hold on to this little thing and this little thing. While good and, and can move us and transform us, the goal of this letter is he is building upon the truth of biblical faith. And biblical faith, uh, if you were to define it or really uh, just kind of uh, dive down into it, you would see that biblical faith is both intentional and active. It is a faith that is rooted in one's identity and it finds its source in the gospel and nothing else. As we started this year, we worked through uh, the, 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 uh, the, the epistle, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. Uh, and that letter over and over and over again is, hey, you are saved by the good news and the good news of loan, that, uh, alone. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. And anyone that would tell you differently... Anyone that would say, hey, you need to work, you need to be a doer, he says, let them be cursed. But then we get to James, and as we're going to look at today, James is going to talk a lot about active faith. So what do we do with that? Well, what we have to realize is that we are, if you are a follower of Jesus, we, uh, man, as the church, the, 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 the global church, are good news people. We are good news people for the, for the gospel has not only transformed our past and future, it is, and this is a present reality transforming our here and now. So that we might not only live upon the secure foundation of Christ's finished work, but we might live in light of it. Not in light of what we still need to prove. Rather, we might live out our freedom in ways that proclaim in both word and in deed that there's no better news to be shared, there is no better news to be heard, and there is no better news to be trusted in. I mean, today, even as I share that, I think the reality or what we have to, man, grasp and understand by God's grace is that it begins with you. And what I mean by you is myself included. It begins with each one of us. We all are to be proclaimers of this good news. And so this, as James has shared, is even to be done when, when we face trials of various kinds. James, man, he, he seems a bit crazy in the beginning. He says, man, count it all joy when you experience trials. If you remember the context is he's writing to this dispersion, these these uh, Jewish Christians, these Gentiles, they have been dispersed throughout 
the known world, throughout the Mediterranean, right? Because they've been persecuted for their beliefs. But not only that, God in this trial is using it so that he might fulfill his promise in, in Acts 1.8 that says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But they find themselves persecuted. They find themselves in lands that are not uh, necessarily known to them. That may, they, they, they are not comfortable. They uh, are even... Um, that they're being uh, stuck in, in poverty and taken advantage of. And yet James says, hey, count it joy. But he doesn't just say count it joy. He says, hey, the, the way that you should respond is not the way the world responds. Which is, hey, uh, do better, be better, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, he says instead, turn and be dependent upon God. Ask for wisdom. He says, and not only ask for wisdom, be proactive to not succumb to the lies of the enemy. The three lies that we looked at last week, which were, hey, if you could just have prosperity, you would be okay, right? Turn to riches and comfort. He says, no, that's a lie. It's not going to satisfy. And then he says, well, uh, the other lie would be that, man, you should just start casting blame on anyone and everyone. Because it'll make you feel a little better, right? It'll take the burden off of you. Or maybe just turn and begin to walk in sin and blame it on God. He says, you can't do that because God doesn't tempt us. Then lastly, he says, don't believe the lie that you would doubt God as being good. For it is by his own will, love and grace that he brings us forth. You see in verse 18, not by our good standing, not by our performance, not by our intangibles. Even though we all think we're pretty great, right? Like we all think like, man, we are superheroes or that we've got this. And I've said it a million times. We don't got this. It's only by his grace. He brings us forth by the word of truth, James says, which is seen in and through Christ. He is the word that put on flesh and dwelt among us. He says, so that we should, and, and that should is, is this active imperative, like he will do that. We will be a picture of first fruits of his saving grace. Therefore, we can know through his word that not only does he save us from our sin, he will see us through our trials. You see, the good news is not good just to a certain point. The good news is continually Good. And it's this focus upon God's goodness, which we find in his word that leads James today to call us to two things. First, he's going to call us. He's going to say that we must learn to accept the word. We must learn to have faith and trust in the truth of God's word. And secondly, we must be doers of the word. So our faith in the word and acceptance of it is to push us to be doers of the word. And this won't be the last time that James presses this. You see, the recipe for a life as a follower of Jesus is one of active faith. It is one of both acceptance and obedience. And so today, man, the question uh, I want to ask up front that I want you to think on is what voice or voices, what things are you valuing, hearing and accepting today 
And do those things lead to obedience to God or the worship and protection of other things in yourself? You see, what we listen to and follow affects our lives, especially our lives of faith. And more specifically, the words that we speak. And so with that, let's look now at the first three verses. Uh, We're going to look at James 1 verses 19 through 21. It says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, which is humility, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Alright, so I just asked a question to think on, but here's a little more of an interactive question. Today, how many of you in this room have a problem with listening? More hands than I thought, right? Like, maybe, maybe that's too hard. How many of you know someone that has a problem with listening? Even more hands. That's what I figured, right? Every parent in the room said, Amen. Husbands and wives said, Amen. And man, if we, if we could all, if we were brave enough, we could quickly point. And maybe you did, right? Like maybe you literally, when you heard that, you pointed to the person next to you, said, it's you. And maybe you're like, well, I didn't point, but your eyes did, right? He's always after the heart, right? Maybe your posture did. We can all look, we all understand that there is a great struggle with listening. I know for me in this season of life, I experience it most in parenting. Like we're ready for Wednesday. If you don't know, Wednesday's when school starts, right? Like we are ready for Wednesday. Uh, we love our children. Uh, but man, they like there's just something like the notch has just gone up to 10 and the ears have just kind of shut off. Uh, yesterday we were talking and he was like, hey, I was listening to a podcast and what I heard is that boys can only get one directive at a time while girls can get three. And I was like, well, that's true of just men in general. Like, I need one thing, right? But, but I, I said, well, let's test this out. And so I tell both of my, I tell my oldest daughter and my oldest son the same thing. Guess what? Neither one of them did it. <laughs> I was like, well, we got work to do, right? But I get it all the time. I feel like over and over they just glaze over and it's like there's nothing there. I'm talking to them and I'm getting nothing back. But what I realize is that's me as well. You know, we joke about it all the time, but we all have selective hearing. We all have selective listening. And what we have to realize is that a lack of listening costs us. It costs us personally. It causes, It costs us relationally. And it costs us our freedom. Like you could go on and on. Well, a lack of listening costs. You know, if we're honest, we are all the same. We listen, but we don't always listen, listen. That's why I love like Jesus. If you read the gospel when Jesus is preaching, sometimes he'll use these words. He'll use the same word twice to say truly, truly, which is really what he means. There's listen, listen. Okay. Put down what you're doing. Open your ears. Like Jesus would also say, he who has ears, what? Let him hear, right? 
We listen or we hear what we want to. But you see, in light of our need to understand God's goodness, what we find and what we need to experience is, is it's in his word. James tells us, he says, we are to be a people who listen to his word. He says, man, if you want to know God's goodness, man, get in his word. Ultimately, what that's going to draw us, if we want to know God's goodness, we look to who? We look to the word, Jesus. But he goes, James goes further. He says, and you're not just to listen or to, I'm going to differentiate here and listen in a minute, uh, not just to listen when it's convenient or good for us. Like if I tell my kids we're going to go do something fun, man, they're listening because it's about them. It's focused on what they can get out of it. And man, that's often our listening, right? What am I going to get out of this? Does this engage me? Does this, uh, or is this, if it bores me, I'm not going to listen, right? Or if I think I know it, I'm just going to blow it off. Rather, James says, he said, you're, you're to be quick to listen. As a follower of Jesus, our lives should be marked by an eagerness to read, listen to, and obey God's Word. And hearing is different than listening. You see, I believe hearing is passive while listening is active and gets inside you and produces the response of either obedience or the need for rebellion. And I think we need to hear both. Like, you, there are things that you hear, there are things that you listen to that are lies that you need to rebel against. And God gives us His grace so that we might have awareness to rebel against those things, right? But also, like, we need to listen so that we might obey. And so why do we struggle to listen to God's Word specifically with with an eagerness to obey it? Man, there's too much noise. And and in in terms of like the noise is always there. Like just because the people that James is writing to, they don't they didn't have uh, social media and televisions and the radio doesn't mean there still wasn't a lot of noise. Like they're dealing with a lot of noise. But man, to, to boil it down and to kind of bring it into our day, man, the noise drowns out the word with words. Man, there are millions. Billions probably of words spoken every day, like constantly. And yet, how much are we listening to? Better yet, what are we listening to? The media drowns out the word with words. Social media drowns out the words with words. Podcasts drown out the words with words. Seeking quick fixes and feel-good things, right? Those, Those words can drown out our need for the word. Microsoft did a study this year, uh, and the study showed that the average human attention span was eight seconds. Guess how long a goldfish's attention span is? Nine seconds. We're in last place now. (laughs) Like, our attention span is that bad. Because we have been programmed 
to, to, uh, man, take everything in in 140 characters or 60 second clips or stories where we're engaged because the people have filters on their faces and voices, right? We trust in those things more than we do real voices at times. We run to these things as an avenue of safety and escape. And so today, what or who are you listening to as an avenue of safety or escape that does not push you to God's Word? Remember, it's the standard. Test everything by the Word. You see, to those whom James is writing to, they didn't have the New Testament. So the word went with it. It was verbal. It was spoken. And there was a lot of competing voices. We saw in Galatians, right? In Galatians, they say, hey, it's okay to follow Jesus. Just follow all the practices of Judaism too. Competing voice. And what Paul does, he says, no, that's not the way. There's other competing voices that we read about last week, right? Like pursue riches. Just blame other people. Yeah, I just sin. What does, what does it matter? Like, man, just begin to say that God's not that good. Believe that. Competing voices. But today, in today's church, we have the written word, and yet there's a lot of competing voices. I believe one of the greatest issues in the church right now is that far too many who claim to believe in Christ spend more time listening to other voices than they are, than the time they spend in God's Word. And we should have an eagerness to devour His Word. And it's not one of those things, well, I just don't have time. We can't, like, we can't even make the excuse anymore, like, I just don't understand it. Guess what? You don't have to read KJV anymore. Like you can just start with like the message, right? Like, the, like it, you, 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 we can't like we can't do that anymore, and yet we do that. You see, we are to listen with eagerness, James says. But next, he shares that he says, "Be quick to listen and what? Slow to speak." To make it simple, God has given us two ears and one mouth. Therefore, we should listen twice as much as we talk. But that's sadly not the case. Uh, man, I think that, you know, I, I just turned 35. I, I think we're listening. Maybe we're probably not. I'm just more aware of it. Uh, but I'm like, we're listening less than ever before. <laughs> because the words are drowning out everything. The noise is drowning everything out. You see, in James's time, the church gathering was a fairly open forum. And so what James is saying, what would happen oftentimes is somebody could be talking and teaching and then anyone in the crowd could just jump up and start debating or make comments or, you know, whatever. And so we can think that, like, I just want to say, like, we don't struggle with that in here. Um, I think we could have a little more call and response, actually, right? Like... Because what that actually is, in a good, healthy way, is when you hear something, saying things like, amen, and that'll preach, or good word, or, oh, that hurts, oh, you know, is not to build me up. It is you in an act of worship before God saying, God, this is good. Thank you for your word. 
Even when it's not easy to hear. Even as it encourages our souls. Even as it tells us to have joy in the midst of trials. But while we may not struggle with that open forum like in this context, we in our own way are the same. We're so very quick to speak. It's just that our speech nowadays is usually not direct, but behind the protection of our keyboards and a screen. Have you noticed that on social media, everyone feels the freedom to believe themselves to be an expert on everything? And no, you can Google anything and everything to justify every argument you have. Because there is someone on Reddit or whatever, Pinterest, or whatever, that will back you up. We post what we're passionate about and believe to be right. We will argue and point fingers on social media. Uh, we, and we in the comments section, right? And then turn around and act in a totally different manner in public. We have been fooled. I want us to hear this say we've been fooled to believe that if you post on something on social media, you are not really speaking when reality you are yelling. But you can say, well, I don't I don't post my stuff. I just share other people's. Someone else's words, be it by share or retweet, bind you to their words as if they're yours because you're standing in agreement with what they're proclaiming. So what are you yelling about (laughs) verbally or online? What percentage of your posts or conversations are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus versus other things? If we were as passionate about the gospel and the word of God as we were about our view on masks, vaccinations, being for or against a certain political party or sports, fashion, or the new pyramid scheme that we've signed up for and need to sell, I believe that Christians would drastically change the landscape of social media and culture. We would, but we're too busy flopping around in the mud of the noise. Because we can sit behind it. You see, while the world yells, we should listen and pray. While the world proclaims hate and division, we should proclaim the good news of salvation and the unity that comes only by way of the gospel. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And then, ooh, James, just he just goes at our hearts. We're to be slow to anger. And I love God's word. It is unchanging and it speaks to the truth of where we are, does it not? God's word is the answer to the reality of what ails us. And what ails us, if I were to put a descriptor on the culture wars of our day, is anger seems to rule the day. It doesn't really. We just try to put it on that throne. We try to worship it. Aggression or anger is a commodity that is bought and sold all around us, even in the church. And its stock is costly and never delivers the returns we want. And yet culture, even many in the church culture, continually run to it and rationalize it. The way we rationalize it, well, I'm just being frank. Well, the Bible tells me to speak truth. Yeah, but you forget that the last part of that is in love. 
Or we try to justify it by blaming our anger on our circumstance, on our upbringing, on the brokenness of our stories, or maybe what others have done to us. My home experienced its first fistfight yesterday between my five-year-old son and my three-year-old son over puzzles. Anger was everywhere. I walk around the corner and they both are just swinging, right? And I'm like, what are you doing? Well, he did this. He's trying to play with my puzzle. How dare he? You see, we rationalize, we justify instead of seeing it as sin and repenting of it. Now, there is a righteous anger. But 99% of what we probably label as anger is not righteous. It's sinful and selfish. See, anger, when seen in light of God's word, reveals itself to be not only foolish. He says it is foolish. He says it will bear no fruit. The, the anger, James says, does not produce the righteousness of God. While it promises freedom and victory, it produces nothing of value. Therefore, we are to choose the opposite of our anger. He says the opposite is putting down all filthiness, putting down rampant wickedness. And in meekness, in humility, receive the implanted word that is able to save our souls. Anger produces no good thing. One writer says that the bottom line is that an angry spirit is never a listening and teachable spirit. Which is why we need to turn to the word And he says, when you turn to the Word, guess what? You receive the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you think about your life, what are you producing? You see, it's that byproduct that gets us through trials with joy, like we saw in verse 2. Without it, we're only left to be angry. And so we see we're to accept the word rather than turn to angry speech, which leads us to the reality that our acceptance of the word is to lead us to be doers. Let's read verses 22 through 27. But be doers of the word and not hearers or listeners only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, so in light of our need to be listeners that are slow to speak and slow to anger, James makes this comparison between listening and and true listening that produces obedience. And what he says, he says it's to walk in obedience to the Word of God. You see, the Word produces faith, and true faith produces obedience or action. And the example he gives is a man looking in a mirror. 
Now, for the sake of the example, the man is you and I. And the mirror is God's word. Because God is, he, he, he's not a shifting shadow. Like he's light, he's truth, he's grace. So we look to his word. And he gives two examples. The first, he says, uh, the first is a man who is a hearer, but not a doer. And so what a hearer does is they hear the word and they see the reality of themselves in the mirror. And what they see, they probably don't like. But like every man who stood in front of a mirror, they flex. They think, man, I'm good looking. And then they turn and go away and they forget the reality of what they really saw. They live a sham. They don't walk in obedience. They don't walk in the reality of who they really are. This is the person who sees but doesn't see their own heart. They deceive themselves by being quick to speak. So they justify their sin or cast blame and respond in anger. Is this you today? And before you just reject and say no, like reflect on that. Say, Holy Spirit, is that me? Am I seeing myself correctly? But you see, there's another way because there's another who looks. He says they look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and they persevere. And and I just want to stop there. So this man looks into the mirror and they look not to himself as the source of identity and salvation, but to the word of God. What they realize is they're not the center of it. Guess, Guess who God's word's about? God, not you. We read it like it's about us, right? We're not the center of the story, Jesus is. And this man looks not to himself as their source of identity and salvation. They look to the Word of God and they say, What do you have to say? God, what do you have to say? And guess what? Uh, if you're going to do this, you have to get in the Word of God. You can't say, yeah, I look at myself intently or I know who I know what I look like I, and not be in the word of God. You can't do it. it. Says that this man looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty. You see God's word, which is the perfect law, the law of liberty that actually gives us the freedom we long for is not an enslaving killjoy, but the only place of true freedom. And so what happens is this person, by God's grace, sees themselves for who they really are. That they're sinful, broken, and in need. And guess what? They don't turn to guilt, shame, or anger. What it means, what James is getting at, is that they they run to the mirror of the Word because they understand that while it exposes them for who they really are, it is also the only thing that can give them the hope, life, and satisfaction that they long for. And so what they do is they see themselves and then they look to Christ. And then they go out and obey. And then they go back to the mirror and they see themselves and then they look to Christ and they go out and obey. That's what we are to do. Today, if you want to see your walk with Jesus grow, you must begin to both listen and do. You must go to the Word and cut out other voices and do. And then go back to the Word. Cut out other voices and then do. 
If we want to see this church fulfill the work God has called us to do, we collectively must encourage one another not to simply show up and hear the word, but to be doers who obey the word. What that means is that we proclaim, we, we would be proclaimers of life and not complaining death. That we would speak good news to one another and call each other to grace-filled obedience gently. Gentle conviction. Hey, don't you know who you are? That we would call each other to ownership in the life of the church. That we would not just hear what the church is engaging in, but that we would actually engage in it. And so we get that we are to not just be hearers, but doers. And in closing, may we allow the Spirit to convict us and encourage us In the area we find that this hearing and doing fleshes itself out more often than not. He says, hey, look, if you want to have a litmus test for whether you're a hearer or a doer of the word, hearer and a doer, or a hearer that's not a doer, he says, look at what you say. He says, those who say they're religious, meaning they claim to be doers of the word, he says, don't be deceived. By believing you're something you're not, if you can't bridle your tongue and control, or bridle and control your tongue. And James is blunt in saying that you deceive yourself and your so-called religion is worthless if all you do is spew anger with your tongue. See, what you say is an overflow of your heart. What you say, again, even if it's on a keyboard or with a share, is a loud voice. So don't cast your audible silence as honorable when your keystrokes are sinful. It's all a reflection of what you value, of what you mirror, and the lenses by which you view the gospel. You see, a life with Christ is not fixated on the outward change that the world can see, but the inward change that only God can see. And you see, this text is saying that you need to make darn sure that you aren't deceiving yourself into thinking you are religious because you come to church or you lift your hand in worship or you carry your Bible when your words and your posture and what you say about yourselves and others is deceptive, degrading, and divisive. James says that's nowhere near what pure and undefiled religion is. He says, pure and undefiled religion is, is, is faith that looks out from self in the sense that it serves those in need. He says, it's caring for orphans and widows, right? I love what Jesus says. Jesus says, you know, the, um, people come to him and they say, hey, um, how do we know we can enter the kingdom? He says, well, if you, uh, you know, how can we know the Father? He says, well, if you've uh, fed the sick and clothed the naked and gone to those who are in prison and given the thirsty water. And, and then they're like, well, how do we? He's like, you've done that unto me. And he's like, well, how do we know we do that? He's like, well, if you've done that. But what Jesus is getting at more is say, hey, that's what I'm going to do for you. You see, we are the orphan that Jesus came and brings in. We are those that are hungering and starving and He came as the bread of life. We were dying of thirst and He came as the living water. We were in prison and He visited us. We were naked in our sin and He clothes us in His righteousness. It's saying, look, I'm going to give of myself. 
Jesus didn't come just proclaiming the kingdom. He displayed the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here and now. And guess what? It's still here and now. He says, do that. And I think one of the greatest ways we can do this right now is just to be an encourager. I heard a pastor say, man, in the, in the, in the world we live in today, uh, man, if there was one thing that Christians could do just to ch- just begin to change cultures, he was like, just be kind. He was like, that's how really low the bar is right now. <laughs> he was like, it's sad, but that's it. Like, if you just just be a kind person. Let's start there. Then he says, keep yourself unstained. And some would say, well, I can't be around sinners. No, you are a sinner. Um, And what he's saying is saying, don't allow those voices to take control. When we understand who we are, guess what? We engage as Jesus did. What are you looking to? What do you value? We're to be in the world, but not of the world. And so in closing, i got a few challenges for us. That we might not just hear the word, but we might be doers. And so the first is that we would reflect and repent. And so I want you today to just be, spend some time uh, reflecting on what you're listening to. And is what you're listening to pointing you towards Jesus and others, or is it pointing you away? And then where do you need to repent of poor listening, sinful speech, and outbursts of anger? Be them aggressive or passive-aggressive. Maybe today you need to go to someone and say, hey, I'm sorry because the way I've been talking to you is not right. I haven't been honoring to you. I haven't been caring and loving toward you. And then I want you to respond with a, a, a couple of challenges. Man, I want to challenge you to devour the Word. And the way I think that, man, part of that is we have to remove something so we can actually engage in that. Is I want to challenge you for the next week to fast from forms of media, primarily social media and um, and probably the news. Just fast from it for a week and just read God. When you want to get on there, just let me just open my Bible. What does God's Word say? Read God's word. Read like instead of doing that, like read a Christian book. If you need one, when you walk out of these doors right here, there are free books down there. There's one called Women of the Word. There's one. It's a top five book that I've ever read called Gentle and Lowly. Um, there's a couple of books on parenting. I think there's a book on marriage. There's some other books over there called Freedom of Self Forgetfulness. That if you really like, it's like a little pamphlet that'll just really just get you (laughs) and all the men's equipment said amen Um, grab one but not only that I tell you sit in silence and listen for 10 minutes a day with a posture of active listening say God I just want to listen maybe talk with someone about your anger ask people to hold you accountable about the way you talk And then lastly, I want to challenge you to encourage three people a day with your words. Start small. Hey, good job. 
Maybe it's going to your spouse and saying, hey, I just want you to know I love you. I care about you. I'd been home about 20 minutes the other day, and I just looked at my wife and I said, you are the best. <laughs> because our kids were just like, bah, 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 bah. and I was like, no, but I re- like, I'm not saying that as a joke. Like, we were kind of joke, but I was like, I mean it. <laughs> you are the best, and I want you to know that. May we change the culture. I'm going to have Brett and the team come up, and then we're going to worship. And I, I just want to invite you to reflect. I, I think it's fine. I want to invite you to repent. <laughs> it's not a taboo word. It's actually grace for our lives when we can repent. And then I want to invite you to respond. And one of the ways that we're going to respond is through song. And the other way is, I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to come share in communion. Um, yeah, again, it looks a little different. We've got a cup that has the juice and a cup that has the bread. And so you take one of each. Um, but I want to invite you after taking some time to pray, reflect. You are invited, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come share in communion. Uh, and we'll sing together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you uh, came and brought the kingdom. That you came as the word. The word that created everything. You didn't just proclaim the word. You lived what you said. God, you call us to the same and you don't call us to the same in our own strength that you empower us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do move in power. And God, as we're about to sing, we ask that you revive our hearts, that that our hope would be found in you and you alone. Give us ears that listen. God, teach us to be slow to speak and respond. Lord, God, rebuke us of our anger and our pride and our selfishness. Let us humbly turn to You and Your Word. Let us see ourselves rightly. God, may we be countercultural. May we bridle our tongues. May we shut off the other voices and say, You who we look to. May we place no other God before You because You are the only God worthy of praise and honor and glory. Move in power. In Jesus' name, Amen.